All right, welcome to The Leap. I'm Matthew. With me is Micah. Hello, Micah. Yo, yo, yo. Each week we split the podcast into two parts. Second part of the podcast, we're just talking about players we think are making The Leap. The first part, we pick a game of the week that we both watch where we try to key in on the more obscure players and the not-quite-yet-superstars and then come here to talk to each other about it. So that's where we're going to start. The game of the week this week was the Cleveland Cavaliers against the Milwaukee Bucks. And Cleveland won 113-104. to It had some interesting stuff going on. Why, why did we watch this game, Micah? Uh, well, Cleveland is... It's still like I think everyone that watches the league is trying to figure out what's up with the Cavs this whole season, basically. Yeah, and what's um, up with LeBron? What's going on in his head? And know? just exactly, there's so that's the weird thing though. It's like what's going on in LeBron's head. Kevin Love obviously yeah. is always unhappy with his role, yep. but now it's like infecting everyone, and it's like Kyrie is not happy probably. Yep. Moskov watching this game seems like. He just kind of floats through games. He's like not necessarily happy with his role. You know? I was about to say, I can't tell with Mazgov one way or another what's going on in his head. Well, it just seemed like last so year mysterious. he was serious. It's like after he got traded. Yeah, right. <laughs> He's an international man of mystery. <laughs> um, but no, last year he seemed like fine with his role, which was limited, but just block shots, protect the rim, yeah. you know, play limited minutes, Andrew Bogut style. Yeah. But this year it seems like, I don't know. He's not quite happy with that role, and he, he's not as engaged. What do anyway. you, real quick, sorry. What do you think's up with the LeBron thing? Give me, give me your take on it real quick. Which thing? Just how his passive-aggressive thing that everyone is getting surprised Dude. over again, even though he's done it his whole NBA career, essentially. It's, it's way too compl- There's way too much subtext to break it all down. Okay, okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> we'll write a novella about it. Yeah, yeah exactly. So what? Okay, tell me. All right, give me your take on the Bucks because I thought that they were a total train wreck sometimes this season, going into this game a little bit. Mm-hmm. But they show flashes on offense and defense. They're still a total mess, but like on defense, like half the time they look really good, and then the other half of the time they're missing the rotations. This is what I realized is that they switch so much, which plays to their strengths on defense. But they also get confused and like miss their assignments a lot of times, so it ends up looking stupid about half the time. I mean, they were super, super efficient on offense, kind of just hitting everything, uh, running on all cylinders, and we'll, we'll get more into that, why that was, in a little bit, I'm sure. But their defense was tough, and, and their defensive rebounding is just atrocious. They're yeah. the worst defensive rebounding team in the NBA. They allowed 17 offensive rebounds this game, too, including Crazy. four in a 75-second span, just late in the fourth quarter when it really counted. Yeah. I, the weird thing about them was, tell me if this makes sense to you, they're weirdly athletic and mm-hmm. also not athletic at the same time, <laughs> right? So you would look at well, Jabari no. and you could say, this dude is like crazy athletic because he can do multiple things, play multiple positions. Yet at the same time, you could say he's not athletic, maybe. Chris Middleton, I think you could say the same thing uh, just because he's multi-positional, maybe. But he's not necessarily like athletic as a multi-positional player. Maybe that's what I'm getting at more. I hear what you're saying. They, they all have their limitations, which, again, that's why I think the style of defense that kid is trying to run, tons of switching, plays to their strengths because most of those guys except for Giannis are pretty bad on ball defenders. Yes. You know what I mean? Um, but they are relatively long wingspan and tall and somewhat 
fast. They yep. just can't stick with guys. So theoretically, the switching defense should be perfect for them. Um, but it's not. I don't think that it's like they're unathletic or slow. They just, yeah, it, they're just look bad because they're not in their spots half the time. You know? Maybe maybe you're pointing out a little bit clearer what I was what I was probably trying to think of was they're long, so you would think they're kind of weirdly athletic because they're long, but they're not like uh, foot speed fast, which exactly. is what, exactly what you're saying on defense. Precisely, and a big part of their defensive problems is that their you know defensive centerpiece. Craig Monroe, theoretically, anyway, yep. he is also just not good for this style because he's a little bit more old school, sort of big body, physical, one on one type defender. Yeah. Um, and he's not good. He misses those rotations all the time, which is the defensive rebounding problem, I think, um, because he's out of position on those rotations a lot of times. He just doesn't have the foot speed. Yeah, a, a team he would fit on, which we were talking about two minutes ago before we started recording. Memphis Grizzlies, you could yeah. see him on a team like that, right? Or the Jazz or the Bulls even to yeah, an extent, yeah. you know. Yeah. But for a broad range of the rest of the NBA, he's a weird fit probably. Dude, and we talked about it earlier in the year how their uh backup big men, uh Henson and Plumley even, Miles Plumley mm-hmm. are kind of better equipped for this defense. Yeah. And they both look surprisingly good. Henson is a great defender, but Plumley he looks good in this defense cuz he's just quick, you know. He can't body people one-on-one yeah but he can make those rotations and it's a weird thing that they have they'll have Monroe start and then they'll bring Henson and Plumlee in basically at the same time which is kind of weird it's duplicating their strengths as rim runners basically and you know shot blockers or something like that at least more than Greg Monroe would be but one person every time I watch the Bucks and I need to look into what's wrong with him because I just see good things out of him every time is John Henson that we yeah. just mentioned. He didn't come in until the second quarter. Is that correct? Of this game? I don't yeah. remember seeing. And he immediately made an impact and brought the bucks back to, I think the score is 50 to 49. And he had five of six shots that he made. Dude, there's no, yeah, absolutely. There's nothing wrong with him. I just think it's, you know, is Monroe their highest paid player, right? Probably, yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know for, between him and Middleton, who's... Well, yeah. and we're forgetting about Larry Sanders, who's out of the league, <laughs> right? but still getting paid the hugest contract. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, Monroe is their highest paid active player. You know, they, he was their big signing last year, supposed to sort of give them some identity, complete them. He's a rising star in the league. Yeah. But um, yeah, I just think that's the problem, is Henson is better fit for the system so he comes in and he looks great but they have a hard time balancing the minutes because Monroe's supposed to be the guy and on offense when they bog down it's kind of interesting they're especially within this Cleveland game Cleveland was running two guys on defense at Middleton like the Mm -hmm. whole game which that's what I'm starting to notice with Middleton he has these up and down games he'll have 27 yeah so like his last three games he had 27 and then nine and then 10 um, and I think he has a hard time dealing with double teams because Cleveland was just running two guys at him. Um, I did think this game, however, he he kind of had a track record of settling for two-point jump shots a lot of times when mm-hmm. when the game wasn't going right for him. I didn't think he did that uh, this game for one of the first times I had seen. He ended yeah, up with he, 11 assists on this game, exactly. which is really good to right. you know supplement a poor shooting night for him. Totally. Well, and I was just going to say the reason why his he, it's hard for him and the team to capitalize on opposing defenses, double teaming him because they just don't have the shooting. Yeah. So when they collapse or try to trap him, 
they don't have anyone else on the perimeter who can knock down the open shot. And earlier this year, we were talking about this problem exactly and why Henson was a solution for this. So if you have no shooting on the team, then you need someone to be rolling to the rim so yeah. that the double teamers or the help defenders have to pay attention or have to stay close to Henson's body because they know. You know but the other weird thing about this, uh, talking about balancing minutes between Henson and Monroe, is that uh, when they bogged down on offense, like in the third quarter, they had taken the lead briefly over Cleveland, surprisingly, 69-68. Then Cleveland came back with like a 9- or 10-point run to run the lead back up. And then they went ISO to Monroe on a couple plays. He's their guy that they go to when they bog down on offense to just get like an easy bucket because mm-hmm. he's like that. So, yeah, that's part of the problem. He's their like ISO yeah. guy. You know? Yeah. Um, but obviously, like the main, not even bright spot, but like shining, you know, exploding dog star or whatever. <laughs> Giannis Antetokounmpo, man. We featured him on The Leap a couple weeks ago, right? Uh, but he's taken an even other leap, dude. Like, if you look at his stats since he's taken over the uh, point guard role, essentially, and he's not exactly the point guard, but he's like the initiator on offense, brings the ball up. Um, so that was on February 22nd. Since February 22nd, uh, his stats compared to LeBron are basically comparable. He he has 19.3 points, LeBron 24.5. They're both shooting 52%. He has nine rebounds to LeBron's 8.3 mm. and eight and a half assists per game to LeBron's 6.2. So just comparing those two guys in this game, he's compares to like surprisingly well. Yeah. Uh, and also the other thing that's impressive since he's been handling the ball way more, his turnovers are exactly where they were when he wasn't handling the ball. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. So he's having like 2.8 turnovers a game since that since February 22nd, uh, and that's actually even a little bit less than where he was at before that. Um, so very efficient. I think with him playing point guard has made him the perfect amount of cerebral that he needed in his game. So before, when he wasn't playing point guard his entire career, he had too many options. You know, we talk about guys that have too many skill sets possibly, so they don't know which one to choose at any given moment. I think he was sort of like that. He was He's so multi-skilled that he didn't know when to be passive or when to be aggressive necessarily. He would be all aggressive or all passive. And this kind of gave him a construct for how he should play. And then outside of that, he picks his spots really well when the time comes. But he doesn't have to be deciding on every play does that make sense? Kind of. Absolutely. Well, and that's like, I, I got to give Jason Kidd some credit because he's using him in the exact right way where he's sort of saying, okay, this is your starting role. And then everything else that you can do, which is everything builds off of that. Exactly. So the first half he's bringing the ball up the court and you know, he, so he gets comfortable with the whole flow of the game. He's controlling things a little bit. And then Cleveland gets used to sagging off of him because he can't shoot very well. Right. Mm-hmm. So then it was, I was just impressed because at the start of the third, right after the uh, halftime is over, they have uh, Tyler Ennis come out, bringing the ball up a lot. Giannis playing off the ball. Now, because Cleveland is used to playing off of him, right? Sagging mm-hmm. off because he can't shoot. He doesn't have the ball in his hands, so he can make all these crazy backdoor cuts, yeah. which is just where he makes his money. Yeah. Because if he has even a sliver of daylight, he needs one dribble to get to the hoop. Yeah. Um, and he can go up for lobs, whatever. So... Yeah, because they've sort of forced him into the point guard role from the beginning, when they switch him off of that, yeah. it's a total surprise. You know? Yeah, it's way more deadly. Well, plus now, yeah, 
you're making him less selfish by giving him more time, essentially. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Now he doesn't have to work hard to get his shots in because the offense is totally focused around him, which now has revealed his true unselfish nature, I think, Frank, you know? I think it's awesome. I think this is, hopefully this is a one to two year stepping stone in his progress. Yeah. They asked LeBron about him before the game, and yeah. they were sh- showing some clips of that. You could tell LeBron was so annoyed that he had to talk about him. You know, <laughs> yeah, he's good. He's really he's handling the ball. He's doing a great job for them. Yeah, yeah. he's a really great player. He's just so annoyed. <laughs> but yeah, he's really like forcing his way into that level of NBA player, which is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, but yeah, since we are our podcast talking about obscure NBA players, yes. the first guy off the bench for the Bucks, did you notice Jared Cunningham? Slightly weird because he played earlier this year with Cleveland. Yes. Um, And this seemed like a very typical Jason Kidd move somehow, you know, where he's like, oh, I'm a savvy old vet. (laughs) I'm going to sign this guy that used to play for these guys. Bring him in first. That'll totally blow their minds, you know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, Jared Cunningham, surprisingly good player. He's uh, very shifty. Doesn't shoot very well, but can get out on the break and stuff. Kind of a a good fit for Milwaukee, theoretically. Another obscure player to some maybe is Tyler Ennis, who came off the bench right after Cunningham. Um, a little bit more well-known because he was a mid-first-round pick a couple years ago. In that draft, the 2014 draft, he was my second favorite player in the draft. Just I loved him, and I thought he was going to turn out to be something more special than people thought. Hasn't but instead, really... he's just special to you. <laughs> For now, <laughs> yes. I mean, he hasn't played much, but the person I'd like I see his path being comparable to is Mike Conley being a freshman coming into the NBA and you're an undersized NBA point guard. I think that's the toughest transition in the first couple of years to get your head around. Milwaukee played them tough this game, surprisingly, even though, as we talked about, Milwaukee's all over the place. Yeah. And then the Cavs the next night lose to Brooklyn. Yeah. Um, so yeah, right now just totally all over the place and their defense especially in this game, their defense is like world-class to me. That was the thing that was surprising to me. They play, and it's mostly just because LeBron is totally insane. Yeah. Sets the tone and just attacks like crazy. Uh, But their defense is fine. And I think that will carry them in the playoffs if anything does. Because on offense, yeah, they all hate each other. (laughs) Like, none of them can decide where everyone else, and they all have an idea about what the other guy should be doing. Yep. Cool, man, let's leave. Leave. Let's do this. Why don't you go ahead and start? Okay, well, um, all right. So I'm really excited about this dude. Yeah. Sean Kilpatrick. He's my first leap. This was kind of the reason I wanted to check in on the Nets this week. See, I thought you were going to go with uh, Kilpatrick this Mm. week. Okay, but some real quick backstory. This dude was a five-year dude at the University of Cincinnati. So I always loved him. Yep. I know our homie Jesse Starr. Shout out, Jesse, if you're listening. I know Jesse loves him. Yeah. he did. He, he's just a funny guy because, yeah, he redshirted his freshman year at Cincinnati because he came in the same year as Lance Stevenson, and Lance was the higher, you know, touted recruit. Mm. Lance only played one year at Cincinnati, then went to the NBA, and has forever been stuck with this like prospect tag. You know, everywhere he goes, no one really knows what to do with him quite because he's a multi-talented dude, but he's also insane because you know he's just never been focused. He's been this prospect forever. Whereas Sean Kilpatrick is the exact opposite played five years at university of Cincinnati in the one and done era, got better every year was a all American his senior year, which is easy to forget. Uh, And so I'm watching him play because he's been 
really killing in limited time for the Nets. Over the last six games, he's averaging 16.7 points a game on 63% shooting, uh, including a career-high 25 points uh, a week ago. Um, but so I'm looking at his NBA draft profile because he went undrafted. Yeah. And under weaknesses, the first thing listed is his biggest weakness is that he's too old. And this is like... <laughs> He's 24 years old. Rookie contracts are three years max. Yeah. Four absolute max. Yeah. You know, it's like this guy, you're, you're not signing him for 12 years. You no. know, you, you're still going to get him even before he hits his prime. And because he played five years in college, basically, uh, you would think he would be an even safer bet, right? Someone that could come in on a terrible team and just contribute right away. But it's just so funny. That's how entrenched the one and done mindset has become it, where it's like, Oh, you haven't left by your sophomore year? Yeah. You know, like you might as well be wearing the scarlet letter <laughs> right. or something, you know, a big red O for old. Because that's the only knock against him. Anyway, real quick backstory. A year ago, yeah. almost exactly that's at this I was time. when you're going to bring up. You might remember March 20th, 2015. The Minnesota Timberwolves were playing the Knicks in New York. Okay. They had just had another injury. Um, they had been issued an, a hardship extension by the league. Normally, you're, you know, the max roster limit is 15. They were allowed to sign a 16th guy because they had so many injuries. So mm-hmm. they were just totally devastated. So they're playing in New York. They literally just had to sign the nearest guy to New York City that was NBA ready, basically. Yeah, real heady NBA stuff. Just get the guy <laughs> that's closest to our physical location. Exactly. So Sean Kilpatrick playing for our beloved Delaware 87ers in the NBA D League. He was less than two hours away. So they called him up. He came, signed a 10 day contract, and then we never heard from him again. He (laughs) just immediately bounced right back out of the league. Uh, And now he plays a few games this year on a 10 day contract. Um, New Brooklyn Nets general manager, Sean yep. Marks. Yep. Kilpatrick is his first signing. They signed him to a multi-year deal. They didn't announce the terms, but, you know. So basically, a year ago, this guy, Kilpatrick, was literally the most superfluous player in the league, You know, right? Now he has a multi-year deal. And uh, the Nets interim coach, Terry Brown, said that all the other players on the team have to play like him or else they're benched. So now their coach is using him wow. as like the model for what he wants, you know, just intensity and competitiveness wise. Um, so Sean Kilpatrick, dude, he's totally, he went from not in the league at all, washed up old man at 24, <laughs> at 24 to, you know, now like sort of, I don't know, the team seems to be committed to him anyway. So it's pretty yeah. exciting. Nice feather and Sean Mark's cap is its first move as the GM. Exactly. Gotta love it. You gotta feel good if you're a Nets fan, too. You know, like, oh, this guy kind of gets it. This is nice. That's why it's also good, because it's a total change of direction. The Nets have been trying to buy all these overpriced, washed-up vets to kind of give them some legitimacy from the jump. What they should have been trying to do is, yeah, homegrown talent that, like, guys that play hard, that the fans can identify with and, like, follow, Mm. who improve over time. And Sean Kilpatrick is that that dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's 24, which is... Well, he's 26 now, but 26. yeah. 26. He, he's still younger than Hassan Whiteside. So that can exactly. give us context for... <laughs> Whiteside's 27 years old and still kind of thought as this prospect person that's yet to turn into what he's going to be as a player. Yeah. And that's Whiteside, who really has to have his athleticism to stay good. Yeah. Kilpatrick is just... 
he's so money to watch. It's yeah. crazy. I can't believe he slipped through the cracks. Great at finishing around the the rim. Great shooter. Great shooter from the line. You know, he's Can just up. Yeah, when the athletic yeah, exactly. not there. He's like yep. he's like a, a physical two guard. Uh, so he's the type of dude that even as he gets older, because he's got the natural skill set, it won't necessarily diminish his game. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so now with him from University of Cincinnati and their point guard, Shane Larkin, son of former Cincinnati Reds Ooh, Hall of Famer Barry Larkin. Nice, yep. They have a very Cincinnati backcourt in Brooklyn. Wow, and you're wearing your Cincinnati Reds jersey right now. Yep. Just wow. got a rep. Very nice. All right. That was a long one. Who you got for the leap, dude? Well, I mean, the Delaware 87ers are just churning out studs, basically. <laughs> Sean like Patrick. Yeah. We had Jordan McRae on the leap earlier this year who who plays for the Cavs now, who was yeah. part of our game of the week. He had 61 points in January for the, the 87ers. This last week, someone broke that from yep. the 87ers. Russ Smith yes. scored 65 points. Mm-hmm. And the most impressive thing about this, he only had one three-pointer. Yeah, dude. 32, Are you serious? 32 of those 65 points were layups. <laughs> it's you know? And he had a missed dunk, too, in this game. <laughs> That's great. I didn't know that part about the layups, how many of those. Wow. Dude, thanks for stealing this. I was going to uh, mention Russ. Russ Smith, a.k.a. Rusticulous, which Ooh. is a nickname given to him by his former coach, uh, Rick Pitino. Ooh. who then went on to buy a racehorse that he also named Rusticulous. <laughs> <laughs> so Rick Pitino, man, really loves Russ Smith, if wow. nobody else does. Yeah. But yes, yeah, besides for the 65-point game that you just mentioned, yeah. uh, he had 40 on uh, the 19th of March oh. and 50 on the 6th of March. Ooh, I didn't realize and, that. And he also had a triple-double on the 18th. He's been flat out dominating in the D League. Yeah, been averaging twenty six point three points a game before this game even happened. Eight point four assists, mm-hmm. five rebounds, two and a half steals in twenty games with them. So, no, I'm excited. As teams, you know, the good teams will start resting their guys. The bad teams will start resting their guys. You know, mm-hmm. so I fully expect to see Russ Smith uh, on a ten day contract in the league real soon. I like it. Who are you leaping with now? Did I, Dude, thanks did I for play stealing my away? leap. Yeah. No, no. Okay. So, uh, I, all right. This is another like leap back into the NBA. Uh, Michael Beasley, aka Super Cool Bees, aka Be Easy, uh, a dude that was the number two pick overall uh, just a few years ago. Incredible. And then had totally bounced his way out of the league. Was playing in China this mm-hmm. season until the uh, Chinese league ended uh, like a month and a half ago or something. So the Houston Rockets picked him up. He had a 30-point game a week ago that was overshadowed because uh, it was the game that Dwight Howard got busted for using oh, the sticky spray. Exactly. That was totally, that overshadowed Beasley's 30-point game. Where yeah, because I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. But Beasley's been playing great with them. He has 18 points over his last four games. And the biggest thing that puts him back in the mix I forgot this, but he was a uh, AAU teammate with Kevin Durant back in the day. Okay. Do you remember this? Mm-mm. I didn't know this. Apparently, he says that they're family. They're like more than friends. They, you know, know each other's families and hang out all the time and stuff. Family it, or fam? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Fam, right. Fam, okay. Point is, uh, it's kind of a Houston beat reporter is basically trying to make the case as of a couple days ago that somehow Beasley on the Rockets will be able to convince Kevin Durant to sign with the Rockets. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, wow. Yeah. 
Michael Beasley all of a sudden now is back in the mix, dude. Yeah, a, he, a power broker in the he, league. He's the Kent Bazemore to uh, Durant Steph Curry in terms of shoe deals. Yeah. Precisely. He was the number two pick in the draft that Derrick Rose was the number one pick in. Exactly. But Beasley has played more NBA games than Derrick Rose. So moment of oh, silence here right. for Bulls fans. Wow, dude. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Let's end on a sour note like that. Dude. That just that was like a wave over my psyche. Damn, suck the air out of the room. Yeah, <laughs> but I'm happy to see Beasley back from the Chinese league, man. It's hard to come back from the Chinese league. I think. <laughs> <laughs> Have you ever heard about the Noriega Michael Jordan story? Oh yeah, Can you hear about this? Please Did tell this. this. I, I was just reading about this. Yeah, the rapper Noriega. Yeah, not, not former Nicaraguan uh, president Manuel Noriega. Correct. Setting the scene, so there was a Def Jam Records Christmas party. Basically, the people around him were like, yo, Redman and Method Man are here. And MJ said, F rap. Yeah. And they all heard him say that. And the only rapper that MJ talked to that night was Jay-Z. That's it. It's the only person he talked to with people from Wu-Tang there, everyone else from Def Jam. Just, uh, it's a hit to MJ's legacy, unlike anything else I've probably ever heard. Dude, MJ has been taking hits, though, I have to say. The last year or so, you know, the crying Jordan meme has just taken over all oh, other memes on the internet. Get that it's thing still, out of here, though. It's still hilarious, if you ask me. Basically, 100% of the times. <laughs> agree to disagree. Um, and then I think a rapper that we both love, Vince Staples, uh, also called out MJ. I don't Ooh, know if you saw this. I did not. He said, oh, this is back in August or something. He said that MJ was a, like a scumbag, I think is what he called him. Terrible okay. person. He said that MJ getting famous is, it, yeah, he just said it's like the worst type of person to be an example to the kids or something wow. like that. And it's kind of true, you know, like I, it's just kind of interesting because the things that made MJ a legend, killer instinct, winning at all costs. Yeah. Now it's kind of like, well, you don't actually have to be like, it's a, it's kind of like an old school mindset. Like you have to be this relentless monster to be like the best at what you do. It's, it's the that, Steve Jobs archetype where everyone in the tech sphere thinks you have to do that to be successful. Just because he was successful doesn't mean that's like a one size fits all thing, you know. And, and now look at the best players in the league. Kevin Durant, Steph Curry. These guys are like, compared to MJ anyway, you know, yeah, you would never say that they have that same type of desire to dominate the opponent at every turn, you know? And yet they're still at the top of their field and just amazing to watch. Yeah, they. I, I would think they would compete as hard as him, but he wanted to well, uh, do like punitive damage to every slight that, uh, or perceived slight or, or slight that he concocted in his head. Um, yeah. That's exactly right. One of the pettiest all-time superstars, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, yeah, that Noriega story is pretty funny. Yeah. Uh, but it also reminds me of how the famous Kareem Abdul-Jabbar thing with MJ. I don't know if you remember this. Because mm. Kareem, you know, famous activist, very, like, politically-minded dude. Uh, basically, in the 90s, called out MJ. In, you know, privately, they were talking and said that MJ needed to take more of a stand on political issues. I forget what exactly he was talking about. Is this the Republicans buy shoes thing? Exactly. Inside that quote? Okay. And that's, yeah, that's exactly what MJ's response was. Was like, well, I can't say certain things because Republicans buy sneakers. And Kareem was just like, damn, man. Wow. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah. This would be another one-size-fits-all thing, too, though. I I don't think... 
MJ would have an opinion on that one way or another, even if Republicans didn't buy sneakers, you know? So Kareem is of the political mindset and that nature. And some guys just aren't. They don't they don't care about that. And I think MJ is one of those people that just does not care at all one way or another, right? Does that make well, sense? But then the, not everyone the, has to care, right? Not, every, not everyone has of power and you should use it for good things, but it that doesn't seem to be in his wheelhouse of things that I don't, I don't know that he thinks deeply about at least. So I'm not sure I would necessarily want his opinion if he's not super introspective about that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Talk to me. No, I guess the counterpoint would then be like, all right, well, if you're still like, I don't know, especially in the night, I don't. Yeah. The counter Kareem's argument would be basically you have some responsibility as the chief representative of your community, yeah. you know, to you're like the lia- the cultural liaison yeah. above anyone else, especially yeah. in the 90s, you know, yeah. um, which yeah. is part of why Kareem is not as highly regarded still, because Kareem took those political stances all throughout his career. Mm-hmm. So yeah. people were kind of like got bored of him. <laughs> yeah. But no, anyway, I was just, I'm glad you brought this up because now that North Carolina just passed that. That's what uh, I was thinking about. Yep. Exactly. Mm -hmm. This is putting the spotlight back on Michael Jordan's political beliefs. Anyway. Yeah. They're going to have the all-star game next year. And now that North Carolina just passed this, you know, whatever, uh, anti LGBT law, basically, Mm uh, the NBA is kind of threatening to pull the all-star game from Charlotte because of that. Um, and MJ has yet to weigh in, so we'll see. And also Steph Curry. Uh, we can talk about another guy who's not politically inclined to, you know, just give an opinion on something or hasn't shown that in his career. No, that's totally right. But I think what, so you're saying basically these guys don't necessarily are, are too political, but I think the real, I think they're both just like, yeah, you know, Southern dudes who are just frankly conservative. Yeah. You know what I mean? I yeah. think that's the real truth. I don't think they necessarily want to say what they actually believe. MJ and Steph. Yeah. I think like there's some It would guys- be interesting though. It would be interesting if those two guys just came right out and were like, you know what? I'm kind of for this law. <laughs> you know what I, mean? I would actually kind of like that because that to me is what I'm kind of asking for. I'm not saying, oh, if you're not politically involved, don't try to butt in and try to like make some big statement. Yeah. But yeah, if you're a conservative Christian Southern dude and you have these beliefs, right? I don't know. Say it. Let yeah. people decide for themselves, you know? Yeah, just give me your point of view on it. It's okay. We can come to a middle ground even if we disagree on something, you know? Or like, I I don't know, it would just be kind of interesting because Steph is just in this bubble of like, nice guy, oh, yeah. clean cut, superstar. Oh, yeah. beloved. So it would be great if he said his true political beliefs, which are probably conservative and would make people see him as more of a villain. I think that would be interesting. <laughs> I'm just saying, not a villain, but you know what I mean? It, like, the fans would have a different perspective on him now, you know, a fuller perspective. And, and just the, the bigger thing that I like about this too, is like the NBA for whatever reason has always been like the most political league of all sports leagues for whatever reason, the stars, there's just the biggest, I don't know why that is exactly, but there's like the biggest burden on the stars to make some stand way in. Yeah. Whereas yeah. Football players, baseball, nah, doesn't matter. We're just going to have a uh, podcast about Michael Jordan's political ideas. (laughs) going to be the shortest podcast ever (laughs) nice anyways uh that's it for us this week uh you can support us by subscribing on itunes or leaving a review and we will get back with you guys next week you have my word on that thanks for listening friends later peace